The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello and welcome to the Big Blue Review Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. And we are coming to you after a 17 to nothing Titans win over the New York Giants. Uh, it was a gross game weather-wise. It was a gross game play-wise. It wasn't super fun to watch. Chris, you ready to break this down? I suppose we have to. Uh yeah. So where do we where do we even start here? Because this was this was ugly pretty much from the beginning. Uh yeah. I suppose we might as well just go like the song says and start from the beginning. You know, we saw who the Giants are against a good team. You know, a team that has a solid defense that is prepared for them and who they are without Odell Beckham. And what happens when a team can basically successfully dictate the terms of the game to the Giants? Yeah, so we said two things heading into this game. One was that we we didn't know which Tennessee team was going to show up because uh, you never know what Tennessee team is going to show up. By Football Outsiders, they ranked... 30th in variance, which just means their weekly DVOA fluctuated more week to week than only two teams fluctuated more. So they could be really good one week, really bad another week. I'm not totally sure if good Tennessee showed up in this game, but it was better than the Giants' Tennessee that showed up, and, and that was enough. And then the second thing we... I talked about in the previous episode of the podcast when we were breaking down the Washington game is one the the rate of turnovers the Giants had over the past few games really since the bye was just not sustainable. The amount of turnovers, the defensive touchdowns, none of those were going to be sustainable going forward. And we wanted to see what the Giants would look like in a game where they weren't getting gifted these interceptions and turnovers and what they would have to do just playing straight up defense and we saw in this game they just weren't able to hold up they got rolled over i mean or run over i suppose we could say they basically didn't have an answer for 
competent play. Yeah, Tennessee really, they set the tone kind of early in this game. Their first drive was nine plays. It only went 44 yards. They ended up missing a field goal at the end of it. They had to settle for a long field goal, 48 yards they missed. I think that kind of gave them the impression that we can't settle for long field goals here. We need to try to push the ball a little more. So they missed the field goal. The Giants go three plays and negative three yards on their next drive. And then... Which pretty much set the tone for their offensive performance. Yeah. And then Tennessee pretty much clinched the game on their second drive of the game. 15 plays, 75 yards, took up 7 minutes and 45 seconds. They got down inside the 5. It looked like Derrick Henry scored on a touchdown. They ruled him down at the 1. Then they had a third and goal at the 1. It looked like Marcus Mariota scored on a QB sneak. They ruled him short of the goal line. And then they just gave it to Derrick Henry on fourth and goal. And he was able to push in, broke like two arm tackles, which if you're trying to arm tackle Derrick Henry, I have you might as well just not try to tackle him. And that put them up 7 nothing, And that was enough for the rest of the game. It was not pretty after that because Giants went seven plays, 35 yards punt. Tennessee went 5 plays, 43 yards punt. Giants went 9 plays, 48 yards punt. Tennessee 6 plays, 21 yards punt. Giants 3 plays, 3 yards punt. Tennessee 6 plays, 10 yards punt. Giants 8 plays, 26 yards, end of the first half. So, whew. For, for those of you who are listening and were in the MetLife crowd yesterday... Man, you people are the real heroes. Good, good for you. You, you might have a problem, but I, I respect whatever problem that would have been because I, I would not have been there. I think the Giants might owe them money, like they, they might even comp the tickets and maybe a coupon for a free beer next time or something. Yeah, I think there should have been some kind of reward for showing up to that game. Because watching it was certainly not worth it. So if we look at how this game really went, this was like a a first half of the year game. Pretty much in every respect, especially on offense. So we have a running game that doesn't work. Eli Manning missing throws. I mean, pretty much just just all of that combined. All of the worst things of the Giants' first half of the season offense came back in this game. Yeah, when we made our staff predictions before the game, I tried to point out that outside of Saquon Barkley breaking off just some huge runs, the Giants, even in their winning streak, were not able to consistently run the ball, consistently open up holes, and that handing him the ball... Nine out of ten times was a wasted down. And that if he doesn't have that tenth time highlight reel run, the Giants are in real trouble. And that's exactly what we saw. He was getting met in the backfield just about every run. And when he wasn't, the Titans just stayed home. They they maintained their gap discipline and were able to just swarm the ball and bring him down. And there was really no other option to beat them. So Barkley yeah, had 14 carries for 31 yards. I mean, that was with a long of 17. And for still, some people after this game are like, why 
didn't Barkley get the ball more? Uh, it's because he wasn't able to do anything with it. And when you're getting these runs that continually get stuffed and push the offense back, like you, you can't risk that. Even as bad as Eli was in this game, he still averaged 5.2 yards per attempt, which is three yards more per attempt than Barkley was averaging on the ground. And even with his sacks, passing the ball has a greater probability of gaining yards than Barkley runs did in this game, and you have to consider that. So Barkley had just a 21.4% success rate in this game of his 14 carries, only three had positive expected points added. So when when you're putting yourself behind with those runs, it's a detriment to the offense. It's not changing any pace. It's not it's not setting the defense up for anything. You're just putting yourself behind if you're going to continually commit to the run game when it's clearly not working. Yes, and I suppose a uh actually a low-key silver lining was that Pat Shermer recognized that. He said after the game that it, it made absolutely no sense to continue to run the ball when it was doing nothing. It They might as well have just had Eli take a knee on those plays. That's something I don't think he would have done or at least would have admitted during the 1-7 and seven start. So at least there was that. But that's really grasping for straws for positives. <laughs> Yeah, that that is a a good thing that he he did you know say that pretty much straight up in his post game press conference that when when you're getting bullied like that and you're losing yards it's the clip they did they're getting pushed back the offensive line could not run block for their lives it, it looked like the original starting lineup of this offensive line out there against Tennessee is weak and so when you. Barkley's constantly getting hit in the backfield. He's making a defender or two miss and still not at the line of scrimmage. You just can't continue to run an offense that way. He had one run that went for negative 10 yards, and he made like two guys miss in the backfield uh, and still got brought down 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. You, You can't run an offense that way. There's just so many things that go against... A good running game, and the only reason you should continue to run it is if you have a lead and you're trying to drain clock, and the Giants, at no <laughs> point in this game, were in that situation. At a certain point, they sh- should probably have been thinking about draining the clock just to get out of there faster and g- let the fans go home and get dry. <laughs> My God, as we talk about this, I don't want to throw Giants beach writers under the bus, but like as we're talking, I just saw one that got tweeted. Giants are 4-1 when Saquon Barkley gets at oh. least 17 carries. 1-8 when he does not. Guys, if you are listening to this podcast, I hope you are smart enough to realize that is the worst stat you can throw up. You run when you have a lead. You pass when you have to catch up and you are trying to score points. If Barkley got 17 carries in this game, the Giants were not going to win. Please, please understand that. If there's one thing you take away from these podcasts, it's that you run when you have the lead, and establishing the run does not mean you are going to win. That's it. That's all I want you to take away from these podcasts, if nothing else. Okay, so uh, see you guys on Friday when we get back to talking about the draft. I I suppose speaking about our usual draft cast the other bright point i 
well, not pitch black point was Evan Ingram, who we spent most of Friday talking about and how the Giants weren't using him enough and not using him correctly. He did get 12 targets, uh, picked up 75 yards, and he was basically the only good thing about their game against Tennessee. And he still wasn't used anywhere nearly as well as he could be. Yeah, it was rough. So he, overall, like, efficiency-wise, was not great. Finished with a negative 1.83 expected points added on those 12 targets. A a lot of that was, you know, not his fault. The final play of the game that was the the fourth and goal where Eli basically threw it into the back of Kevin Byard's head when Ingram was open. That was negative 2.73 EPA, so like over 100% of Ingram's EPA came on that play because Eli couldn't float it over a defender. Uh, We'll talk about Eli in a little bit. So Ingram did not play poorly, especially not as poorly as as that would say, but again, they didn't and they're still using him on on just some of these, like, underneath and shallow crossers. There was, like, a second and 12 where they gave him the ball, like, three yards down the field. They got him deep a couple of times, which, which was nice to see. Just in the overall grand scheme of things, it didn't work out too well. It, it was nice that they saw that without Odell Beckham, they needed a legitimate target, and using Ingram like that is what we would hope they would do. Then there was also that screen pass that probably would have been a pretty big gain that Eli just soared the pass over Ingram's head. So there were some plays for Ingram left on the field. But yeah, I I think the thought that he was used in a way, and there there were some positives in that, hopefully is something that can be a positive going forward. Yeah, I I never want to say that there's a good loss, but I suppose one final positive takeaway is that this game did absolutely nothing to, or couldn't have done anything to reaffirm their confirmation biases. You know, they didn't have Barkley bail them out with a miracle run to tie the game into halftime and maybe give them a chance at maybe putting something together in the second half and winning a game they had no business winning. You know, they basically exposed all of their sins to this point and it turned out the way it should have. Right. Yeah, I think this game was probably a a much needed reality check for where the Giants are right now uh, as a team and as a as a franchise going forward. Because I, as you know, we have talked about, I, I don't think the past couple games really reflected accurately what the Giants were as a team. I, I think this is a little closer to what they are. They clearly need to fix some more problems on the offensive line. They need to realize, yeah, they can't rely on Barkley just to break a big run because sometimes, as good as Barkley has been this year, sometimes those big runs just don't come. Uh, and hoping for like a 50-yard run from a running back is is a crazy thing to hope for. That's that's not an offensive strategy. That is. That's a trip to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is just 
blind hope that you're just you please make something happen. That's that's not how uh, an offense should work in structure. Um, and it was clear in the first part of the season that was not a way to win games, and and it came back up in this game. And I think it it should have given them a little reality check on what they have at quarterback right now. Uh, so. Before the game, we got the usual pregame news dumps, and and one of them this week was that Eli Manning was expected to be back for the Giants in 2019. And if you have been watching the Giants and watching how the franchise has treated Eli, uh, that shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, You should probably just expect Eli to be back in 2019 right now. I don't think there's a sense in getting your hopes up that there is a a plan in place to to figure out quarterback long term. Until that is proven, I am not believing that is the case. And he's been okay the past couple games, but this game, he was a problem. And yeah, people were going to bring up drops, and there were some drops, sure. But overall, this was a really really bad game for him. I just have a whole bunch of numbers here. I don't even know which one to get to first. So we bring up QBR on this podcast a lot. I've said I like it because it's like a a single game win probability statistic. Eli in this game was a 16.7 QBR, which means an average team with Eli Manning's performance should expect to win 16.7% of the time. That was his second worst game of this season. Only that Thursday night against Philadelphia was worse. Now we'll go over to NFL's next-gen stats. They have uh, expected completion percentage, which takes into account you know where defenders were to the quarterback, where receivers were on the field, where defenders were in relation to the receiver. They have this whole uh, formula that's been tested, and it comes out with an expected completion percentage. Eli's expected completion percentage in this game was 70.3. He finished with an actual completion percentage of 47.7. That is a 22.6% difference. That is one of the worst differences among all quarterbacks in any game this season. Only, and um, these are not names you want to be associated with, Nathan Peterman and Blaine Gabbert. Both of these happened in week one. Those were the only two games this season of quarterbacks with at least 15 passes that had a bigger gap between completion percentage and their expected completion percentage. That is, that's not great. No. And I said before the podcast that I almost didn't even want to talk about Eli because we know what's going to happen. He played bad. He had his usual selection of just throws that should not have been thrown, boneheaded decisions, which he's made all through his career. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. You know, he had his, he had the drops, <clears throat> Sterling Shepard, and over the long run, it's probably not going to matter. It's not going to influence the decision-making for 2019, especially if he cleans it up in the last two weeks if he goes back to playing fine against Indianapolis and then ends the season on a not horrible note against Dallas the Giants will at the very least let him play out his contract yeah we 
we shouldn't expect that this game would influence what the Giants feel going forward. I mean, but it it should. <laughs> There's a lot of things that should have influenced their decision making up to this point, but did not. Yeah, and I mean, in in this game, he had he only had one interception. Uh, but probably should have had at least two others that were dropped. Uh, he had one just floated swing pass to to Barkley that should have been probably should have been a pick six. He had one other sailed pass that uh, hit a defender in the hands. His actual interception, if he puts a little zip on it or maybe sees the safety, uh, I I don't know which one would have been better. But if he just puts a little zip on it, that's. That's an open pass. He should have completed that, but he allowed Kevin Byard to just charge in, make a break on the ball, and get the interception. He missed a couple other passes. Just talked about that screen pass. That was, I mean, that was just unacceptable. I I, I don't know how you miss a, a open screen that poorly. And then the that last play where I mean, it's basically moral victory time when you're trying not to get shut out. And on that last play, Ingram was open in the corner of the end zone, and Eli just throws, like, a dart into the back of Kevin Byard instead of floating the pass over him. So I I just don't know. And then, I mean, there there was pressure in this game. Tennessee did a good job. They, they sent some blitzes. They had good pressure. They finished with eight quarterback hits. Um, Harold Landry had a great game. He had four of those eight quarterback hits. Eli, you know, took three sacks. One of them was, oh, one of them was that play where he tried to throw the ball away and it slipped out of his hands and it ended up being a fumble that was forced by a stunt Tennessee ran to, uh, on the the right side of the line that got Spencer Pulley, Jamon Brown, and Chad Wheeler. They were all mixed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so Eli had to step up in the pocket. You know, Nate Solder did a pretty good job uh, against Landry. They they went kind of deep, and Eli had to step up, and that's fine. They, that should be part of what you do. Uh, I don't think Solder did a bad job of blocking because Eli was forced to step up. You're supposed to push the guy behind the quarterback. That's fine. But when Eli stepped up, there were you know three guys there who were ready to pounce on him. Uh, and then he panicked, tried to throw the ball away, and the ball ends up on the ground. So it was just o- overall just sloppy play everywhere on this offense. And yeah, you can see where this team really missed Odell Beckham. Uh, this is a Titan secondary that has some name players but has not played very well they they have not been able to to cover well and particularly against number one receivers yeah and you don't get you don't get a much better number one receiver than odell beckham he's i think we could say solidly in the top three in the league i i think there there would have been some openings with with Beckham there. So I think that killed him. And that kind of shows you how big of a deal Beckham is to this offense. He is absolutely needed for this offense to function correctly, whether he's getting 12 targets a game or not, just having him on the field. He is the most important person on the field. Wait, you mean the offense doesn't flow through Saquon Barkley? What? I am. I'm going to say no. Some people might not like that, but it's not true. Yeah, everything goes through Beckham. Beckham is the best player on the field. When he is on the field, things open up for everyone else. Yeah, at the, this game was proof positive of that. I don't think any way he could have played 
could have shown that more clearly than by him not playing. No. No, not at all. So and if we jump over to, to the defensive side of the ball, I mean, there was... It, it was another place where, where the line got bullied, and this wasn't a necessarily healthy the Tennessee offensive line. They were missing Jack Conklin. Uh, Taylor Luan was limited in practice earlier in the week. He came to full practice uh, later on in the week, but he might not have been 100%, but this was just You couldn't line... have told it by the way he played against Olivier Vernon. Right. This was a line that was able to push through. They got absolutely uh, no pass rush, only two quarterback hits in this game. One was on a sack from Michael Thomas, who was blitzing. The other was from Olivier Vernon. So that was as close as they got to Marcus Mariota. And then in in the run game, the Giants were able to get no penetration. Tennessee just pushed them back. And Derrick Henry has, has been kind of bad and underwhelming for a while. And then he had the crazy week against Jacksonville last week and another crazy week against the Giants this week, 33 carries for 170 yards. And the Giants could do absolutely nothing to stop him. No, which is somewhat unsurprising considering a lot of the time they were relying on Curtis Riley to come up and fill the hole and make the tackle. And that doesn't work against normal size running backs. I think this is a, another case where the guy who was hurt and di- and didn't play showed his value. I doubt Derrick Henry has that many yards if Landon Collins is in the game. Yeah, it at least gives the Giants, you know, an, another element of of how they can you know, shift the defense. They, I mean, as good as you know, Michael Thomas can be on special teams, and and Sean Chandler has you know, played okay for an undrafted rookie, but. That having those guys try to come up in the box, that's obviously it's not going to be as good as, as Landon Collins. So this was another game where the linebackers are, are trying to shoot gaps and they're either shooting the wrong gap or, or getting pushed out of plays. There were a couple times that happened to Alec Ogletree. I think we can just briefly... Who got blown up by Marcus Mariota. Yeah, so I'm... <laughs> I'm not going to fault Ogletree for that play because, you know, that I think that would have happened to anyone in that situation. You're not expecting the quarterback to be that willing as a blocker and throwing a shoulder that hard. When when he did that, I immediately asked if Mariota can play safety. Yeah, so, I mean, one, one of the things about Ogletree is he can get blocked out of plays by smaller players, but I, I'm not going to fault him there. You're never expecting to to be just completely blown up by a quarterback. But then also with the linebackers, Tennessee is a really good play-action team, whether the run game is working or not. Coming into the game, they ran it at the seventh-highest rate in the league, um, and they're much better team when they're throwing from play action than when they just have straight dropbacks and they use this play action a lot and they were able to uh, use some misdirection and open up some plays that that fooled the linebackers and that's how Marcus Mariota got some of his better throws so they were able to again the Giants are a team that have fallen for play action they fall for that misdirection a lot that has been a trend the entire year even when they were playing better over the past couple weeks uh, they were still susceptible to some of the play action and misdirection and that definitely happened uh, in this game and that's how the titans got some open throwing windows and and tennessee took advantage 
of that. So that's another thing the Giants need to continue to work on uh, is not falling for play action as often as they do. Yeah, the their aggression is, for the most part, I think, a positive trait. But sometimes, too often, they get just reckless coming downhill, and it bites them in the ass a lot. You see them crashing inside and leaving open escape routes for mobile quarterbacks, just completely failing to recognize that it's legal for a quarterback to pull the ball and run with it. Although, on that one read option play from Mariota, that was some excellent ball handling. I just have to give it up to him. That was a really nice job of pulling the ball out and even the cameraman was completely faked and then there were the again just boneheaded penalties by the defense yeah there were a lot of those so you know in total the Giants had 10 penalties in this game I mean only 58 yards but you know when you when you have those even those five yard penalties they push you back and they'll they'll set you back and that is something that you know the Giants need to be a little more disciplined in and then there were some of those penalties that that were big josh morrow had uh had the face mask when it looked like they had they had stopped mariota on a play and then that gave him uh, a first down so so there's plays like that that need to be cleaned up i mean i'm not sure really that that face masks are you know a, a discipline issue and even some of like when they have the encroachments I, i'm not totally down on those because I mean that that again plays into the aggressiveness if you're trying to time the snap I think that's for the most part I'm I'm fine with that um, occasionally you're gonna be wrong yeah I mean look at like someone like like Michael Bennett uh on the Eagles and when he was on the Seahawks uh, he's someone who's going to get called for encroachment all the time but he has also has one of the best jumps off the line in the league and he's been one of the league's best pass rushers so if you can get that which you know maybe the Giants eventually get to that point where they have someone who can do that I, I don't fault them for trying but when when you have those penalties and then the pass rush still isn't getting home like it did not uh, against the Titans here that's when you really have the trouble again only two quarterback hits they were not around Mariota really at all uh, he had some good plays I know there was there was one off play action where he was able to you know, spin out and and avoid pressure you know he's one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the league so he is able to do that and you know he didn't play particularly well only 12 20 only had 88 passing yards so the Giants were mostly able to keep that passing game in check when they needed to especially Corey Davis I thought he had the potential to really have a big game against Janoris Jenkins and he only had three receptions for 33 yards so you would think being able to to hold that passing game and especially holding Davis uh, to something like that the Giants defense would have played you know a little better overall but they just weren't able to do anything against the run and the and Tennessee didn't really need to pass especially once they got the lead and all they had to do was really run out the clock from like their second drive in the first quarter yeah and there was one thing I found very curious in this game and that was the almost insistence on playing nickel packages. Uh, I haven't charted the game. I haven't seen any charts of it. 
but it seemed like the Giants were they started in a nickel package and I didn't see too many plays where they had a base package on the field which just knowing the Titans they want to run the ball that is the basis of their offense they run an offense built on the outside zone run and especially in the rain they didn't want to throw the ball but almost every play it seemed the Giants either had an extra corner or an extra safety on the field and those guys aren't going to bring down Derrick Henry especially when none of their names is Landon Collins part of that is you know even as Tennessee is one of the teams that uses 11 personnel which is three wide receivers the least in the league they I mean they still use it on 56 percent of their snaps which is still more than half the snaps so they do have three wide receivers on the field quite often uh they do use 12 personnel which is two tight ends on 31 percent which is one of the highest in the league and they do like to run a lot from that now also part of what the Giants are doing when they when they're running out nickel that often is they don't have the linebackers to be in base uh, very often. You have Alec Ogletree who's going to be on the field for 100% of the snaps, and he was. Uh, BJ Goodson was still on the field 66% of the snaps. And Tay Davis was on 23% of the snaps, but you know, is it Davis that much better than you know having a Grant Haley or, or Sean Chandler on the field. I'm, I'm not totally sure there's that big of a difference there. I would think having somebody like uh, Mario Edwards up front and then use Kareem Martin as the edge or Lorenzo Carter rather than having Tay Davis. That, that would be just looking at the way Tennessee likes to play football and especially for the conditions. That's where I would start and then basically say, okay, beat us with the pass. Yeah, and I mean, that's basically what the Titans did to the Giants. But you look at how deep Tennessee is at linebacker, and some of these guys are edge rushers, but they had like six linebackers who played at least 45% of the snaps. J.M. Brown played 89%. Harold Landry's an edge. He was on there 86. Wesley Woodyard was at 82%. Derek Morgan was 74%. Kalame Correa was 48%. Rashawn Evans was 45%. So, so they had a good amount of these linebackers rotating in. Uh, and then they have their really good defensive linemen. Jarrell Casey was on the field for 80%. And when you have Jarrell Casey in the middle, you, you don't really, you don't barely even need a linebacker behind him because he's probably going to make a play. Like Jarrell Casey is just really good. He um, is. He's the best guy nobody's talking about on the, in, on the defensive interior. Yeah. And that's the case like every year. Uh, Jarrell Casey is now in year eight of that being the case for him. Yeah, and I I think it's safe to say that Jarrell Casey on Spencer Pulley, who is now dealing with an injury, I believe he was seen wearing a boot after the game, so that's something to keep an eye on. But Casey on Pulley is basically a win for Tennessee every time, which is basically what we saw yeah and that helps open up the edges for the other guys that helps harold landry who 
is a rookie that helps him get around the edge more when there's someone in the middle uh, that has to be defended. And the Giants don't really have that guy right now. BJ Hill is really good. We, we have said multiple times that we really like the player he is turning into, uh, but he's not going to be the person the the interior of an opposing offensive line really needs to focus on. He's a guy that can that can win one-on-one, uh, but he's not always going to you know, get double teams. I, Dalvin Tomlinson really isn't that guy either. He's been, you know, an okay run defender. He's not really much for, you know, pass penetration. So when you have those guys in the interior, they they're not opening much up for for the edges and that makes you know Olivier Verdon have to do a lot of work on his own to get into the backfield and you see when when it's a mix of of that type of thing and even in the run game when there's really no need for a double team that allows the offensive line to to move up into the second level and block out the linebackers who are there. And that's part of what Tennessee did. And that's why they were so successful on the ground in this game. Yeah. And all of that was basically what made the decision to trade Damon Harrison kind of confusing at the time. Yeah. Dalvin Tomlinson is a fine nose tackle. He's got the versatility to play uh, five technique or three technique. He didn't have a bad game against Tennessee. He made a couple stops. He was one of the few guys who wasn't getting pushed around every play. But there's a significant difference between him and Damon Harrison, at least right now in their respective careers. And Harrison really doesn't show any signs of slowing down. In fact, he's gotten better since going to Detroit. The trade, there's a whole bunch of different layers to it. In the grand scheme of things, I'm not opposed to it, especially you know when you're paying that much for for a run first you know, defensive tackle. But yeah, it's it's very clear that he had a presence that needed to be accounted for on the defensive line, and the Giants don't really have anyone who will fill that role right now. And and maybe they will. Maybe B.J. Hill you know turns into that type of player. Uh, but right now, that's not the case. So when you have a team, one that has a pretty good offensive line, and then and you don't have that type of player who can really just take over and needs to be accounted for, and you have a team like this that can just run you over in the run game, uh, that's just not a good combination, and I think that's what we saw against Tennessee. Yeah, that basically sums it right up. It, it doesn't matter what the Giants were able to do in pass coverage because Tennessee never needed to throw. The pass rush was non-existent, but they also never even put themselves in position to really have a pass rush that made much of a difference because Tennessee never needed to throw. <laughs> That's just what happens when when you have a have a team like that that ha- that has a lead and you can't do anything offensively. You don't put any stress on the other opposing offense. And even if Derrick Henry wasn't running wild, uh, there was still no need for Tennessee to pass very often. And I mean, Derrick Henry could have been like 50% as efficient and Tennessee still would have been able to handle the Giants 
on that side of the ball. And, and that's just, that's the reality of what the Giants have on defense right now. We've talked about it. They just don't have the skill and the, and the talent in players to to win those type of matchups. And that's something that I think is going to be assessed and, and changed during the offseason, whether it's through free agency. This is a very defensive, heavy draft in terms of where the strengths are in this class. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. And uh, it is not going to get much easier next week when they are facing Indianapolis. Andrew Luck, still very good. He's a legitimate top flight franchise quarterback. Yeah, and you know, you got T.Y. Hilton. They have one of the best offensive lines in the league right now. What they have in the interior has been great. Quentin Nelson has been incredible. He's lived, he's lived up to his pre-draft hype. Oh, yeah. It yeah, took absolutely. a game or two to get there, but... They have a great offensive line, so if you thought the Giants were getting bullied by this Tennessee offensive line, wait to see what Indianapolis does. And, you know, they have a rotation of running backs that can do a whole bunch of things. They can also catch, you know, Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines. That's um, it's a real good one-two duo there. They throw in Jordan Wilkins occasionally. So that that is going to be tough to stop, and they have 8,000 tight ends they can throw <laughs> to as well so eric ebron has been absolutely shredding defenses even though he hasn't been an every down player this isn't going to be something that is just it's a one game blip i think it, it probably gets worse against indianapolis for this defense if this was how much tennessee was able to push the defense around um so that's what we got next week and it probably stays bad for the offense maybe eli plays a little better in not rain but Indianapolis just threw a shutout against Dallas, who ha- at least have a more consistent offense than the Giants do. Yeah, and that's what's coming next week. Um, so I think we basically just gave you next week's episode um, right now. But I think we can end this episode there. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. You will get our episodes. You'll get the Valentine's Views podcast. You... We'll get our college football and draft show at the end of the week. Please rate and review if you have not. That helps us greatly. Please read our work at BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow us on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. We will be back on Friday at the end of the week with our college football and draft show. Ed will be here in between with probably two Valentine's Views shows. So thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.